0: Hey there, GPSers, and welcome back to another edition of the GPS Podcast. I hope that you are having a good Christmas season. I know a lot of you are traveling, and a lot of schedules have been rearranged because of this current situation in which we find ourselves, and so I hope you are doing well wherever you are and whatever situation that you are in during this very strange and different Christmas season. One way that we're trying to stay connected is through this weekly podcast, and so I appreciate you checking it out and staying connected this way. And as we typically do in our class, we are doing an Advent series this year where we are looking at the, the Christmas story through a series of different lenses. And the different lenses that we are using are different characters in the Christmas narrative that we find in the Gospels. The last couple of weeks, we have looked at Mary, we have looked at the shepherds, but this week, I want us to look at a character that may not be the first person that we think of when we think of the Christmas season and the Christmas story, but I think it's a character that is important and reminds us of this bigger season of Advent and the purpose it can Serve for us because Advent is this word that means arrival. And when we think about arrival, we are thinking about waiting and becoming people who are waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And waiting can do a lot of things for us. It can be a way that we just simply pass the time thoughtlessly, or we can wait with intention and purpose and a real sense of preparation. And so our passage today, and the person I want us to focus on, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, I think I think is an especially important voice for us to hear as we experience this season of waiting together and as we try to prepare ourselves to become certain kinds of people in the world. So our passage today is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting up John in prison. Dear God, thank you for this season in which we find ourselves where we are focusing on Christmas and the arrival of Jesus and what that means for our lives today. And I pray that as we focus on this passage, this challenging passage, I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and that we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son, Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, the day after Thanksgiving, I did something that I had not done in a couple of years. I began to decorate for Christmas. Now, the reason why I say I hadn't done this in a couple of years is because my wife and I moved into a new house a couple of years ago, and we were not quite unpacked when Christmas rolled around. And then last year, we had a little newborn keeping us company, and so we decided to not do Christmas decorations because the newborn was enough for us to handle last year, but this year... This year, I made a commitment that I was going to to decorate. And I got into decorating a bit more than even I expected. I went and bought a new Christmas tree. I did some outdoor decorations with wreaths on our windows. I made our house inside a bit more Christmas-themed than usual. And I think even my wife was surprised that I ended up getting into our Christmas decorating a bit more, but I joked with her and just told her that I was trying to make up for the last couple of years of not doing anything. But the final product, the final product I was quite pleased with and am quite pleased with, and so was my wife. In fact, it was fun for both of us to have that experience of decorating the house, watching our toddler's eyes twinkle, next to the lights on the tree and all of those different kinds of events create a sense of expectation for this season. In fact, there's a direct relationship between that sense of expectation and that sense of preparation. There's something about this year that Calls forth all different kinds of preparation that create in us a sense of expectation. There are gift lists to be made, cards to be sent, holiday treats to be made and given to the ministers of your church, for example. But these things are only the tip of the preparation iceberg. Uh, This past week, out of curiosity, I searched Christmas preparation on the internet, and I was astounded at how many websites are devoted to just getting ready for the holidays. One site even began two months early with booking travel arrangements and giving guidance for almost every week through the holidays right up to the pinnacle of Christmas Eve, where it gave, I kid you not, a 33-bullet-point list of things to do on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, gave a 46-bullet-point list of things to do. If you're like me, then it just makes you tired thinking about that much preparation. Send Christmas cards, organize gifts, find stocking stuffers, plan holiday baking, clean the house, decorate the inside of the house. And then some of us, in the spirit of Chevy Chase, will cover the outside of the house with enough lights to draw planes off of their runway landing patterns. In fact, just listing off that list may have made you panic a bit because it made you think of one more thing that you need to do in these few weeks that we have left. And by a few weeks, I mean a few days. So that probably increases the stress level just a bit more. It's, it's a season of getting ready. It's a season of preparation. That's always a part of Christmas. And in light of all of these thoughts about seasonal preparation, I picked our text intentionally in light of that preparation because our text this morning is a text about preparation whether we realize it or not. John the Baptist emerges from our text this morning, tucked at the end of this list of these seven rulers. And he finds himself not in a place of power like those rulers, but stuck all the way out in the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, we find him crying out. Crying out and preparing the way of the Lord. If we remember Luke's account of the birth stories, then we remember that Luke begins his gospel talking about John the Baptist and his birth before he even talks about Jesus' birth. John's birth become, comes before Jesus' birth. And if you remember in Luke's gospel, John's entrance into the world did not come quietly. His father, Zechariah, was a priest who one day went to offer incense to the Lord. And it was during that religious ritual that Gabriel appeared to him. And he tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, who was old and barren, would give birth to John. And that John's central role would be, and I quote, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, Luke 1:17. But Zechariah, when he hears this news, does not believe Gabriel the angel, and so the angel silences him, which adds kind of some irony to the role and story of John the Baptist, because in John's very arrival, there is created a situation for his very own father who undergoes this moment and this season of preparation. His silence, Zachariah's silence, becomes a kind of preparation which foreshadows what John's role will be, a person who is preparing the way for Jesus. His parents experience preparation before... John allows the public to experience preparation for Jesus. John comes as one preparing the way of the Lord. He comes onto the scene and says to the people of God to get ready because the Messiah is coming, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one bringing salvation is just around the corner. So get ready. And this is why Luke quotes the Isaiah text in our passage this morning, because this text was first uttered by the prophet Isaiah to the exiled people of God, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked Shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That passage in Isaiah was first uttered to the exiled people of God. And the exile was this time in the people of God when when they were away from their home. They were exiled, they were driven out of Jerusalem. And so when they heard this text, they were sitting as strangers in a foreign land. And it's from that place of dislocation, it's from that place of homelessness, so to speak, that the people of God are looking forward to someone, anyone to come and save them. And so year after year after year, they wait and long for someone to bring salvation and Isaiah first speaks to that situation and promises that a person is coming. And John says to the people of God in this moment, in this text, it's time. The time has arrived. It's time for deliverance. It's time for salvation. It's time for all flesh to see the salvation of God. And so John says it's time to get ready That there are preparations to be made because the Messiah, the Messiah is here. But, but the preparations that John the Baptist calls for are not necessarily the preparations that we might expect. Because John calls out from the wilderness and he calls for the people to repent. Repent. John proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Luke tells us. And it is one of those messages that, if you read it closely and carefully, makes you sit up in your seat and straighten your back. It's like when someone says that one thing at the dinner table that everyone knows you're not supposed to say, and then it gets said, and then all of a sudden that person has everyone's attention. Everyone is alert. Everyone is wide-eyed and tuned in. You know what I'm talking about. That time, that place, that situation where that person breaks into guarded territory and, and everyone feels just a bit of discomfort. John the Baptist has that kind of effect on the people who come out to hear him because he's a prophetic figure. And Prophetic figures are disruptive figures. They break into guarded territory. They make people uncomfortable. Because because he says that just because they claim to be the people of God doesn't make them the people of God. Just because they say that they have Abraham as their ancestors, that does not give them a free pass to God. He breaks onto the scene in this region around the Jordan River to prepare his people for the arrival of Jesus, to make paths straight, to fill valleys, to lower mountains, to smooth out the rough places. And for John to do that, he calls the people to repent. Repentance Repentance is maybe not the word that we hear a lot during Christmas season. And maybe it's a word that we don't hear much anymore any time of season. We hear things like, I'm sorry. We hear things like, I shouldn't have done that. We hear, I feel guilty about what I said or did. But but we don't often hear people say, I repent much anymore. And I find this fact maybe a bit sad because... It's an important gospel word. It's an important word in the story of Scripture that that basically means to turn around, to change one's mind, to start going in a new direction. And, And it's a central move in the gospel story. And that's the message John is proclaiming to the people of God. He calls for them to turn around, turn around from the ways they were going and begin going a new way, the way of the Lord. He calls for them to begin preparing and changing their hearts and their minds to receive forgiveness, God's letting go of sins. And this forgiveness is central to the gospel as well, that God does and will forgive us of our sins when we repent. But it is important to understand the relationship of these two words, repentance and forgiveness. In the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, she writes Forgiveness is a starting place, not a stopping place. It is God's gift to those who wish to begin again. But where we go with it is up to us. Most of us prefer remorse. repentance. We would rather feel badly about the damage we have done than to get estimates on the cost of repair. We would rather learn to live with guilt than to face the hard work of new life. Repentance and forgiveness are about new life. And as we keep reading beyond these initial words of repentance, we will realize that new life is the very thing John calls the people to embody. He calls for fruit that reflects a changed life. And as these different groups come to him, tax collectors and soldiers, he he keeps calling for these people of various stations and places in life to lives of generosity, to lives that reflect justice and mercy, to, to lives that reflect satisfaction and contentment. And that's really what repentance is, living life differently than you were before. Because when you begin living your life differently than you were before, then you are preparing yourself for a different kind of life yet to come. John says this is the kind of preparation we need to get ready for the new life of God's salvation in the person of Jesus, this preparation of repentance. And when you begin to think about that, when you begin to think about that theme as a part of the Christmas season, maybe not a thing that you would expect, to hear about, but one I think that's important to hear about. The reason why I think it's important for us to focus on the theme of preparation of repentance is because it pushes us to think more about the one that we're getting ready for. Because that's the thing about preparation. It's for something. It's preparation for someone. And in light of the gospel story, in light of this Christmas season, that is the main thing that we should be thinking about. Who is this one who we're preparing for? Who is this one who has been surprising people even before his birth, who shows up to a peasant girl's womb in the middle of Of nowhere, who causes other babies to leap in their mother's womb while they're still expecting? Who is this one who has been turning things upside down since the very start of his story? Who has angels show up and sing a song at his birth? Who causes grown men to shout out in the temple to praise God? Who lingers in the temple conversing with teachers, even as a child, being about his father's business, and who will continue to turn things upside down by eating with sinners, hanging out with the poor and with women, and touching lepers, interacting with those who were the least of the day. Who is this Messiah? that John points us to this morning? Who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire? Who's going to take a winnowing fork and throw the grain into the air and setting it on fire to burn away the chaff just to save the grain? Who is this Messiah that is coming? Who is John asking us to prepare for? These are the important Questions that we should be asking as we prepare this holiday season. These questions about who Jesus really is. Questions that John the Baptist forces us to ask today, asking us what kind of preparation are we doing? Because we are in this season of reordering our houses and decorating trees. But are we also reordering and reflecting on the state of our hearts and our lives? We're in this season of anticipating this beautiful moment in Bethlehem. But are we? Are we willing to first go into the wilderness to hear the word of the Lord from a prophet? The wilderness of repentance, of turning around, of changing our ways is not an easy place to go. But but it is a place filled with hope and promise. Because it is in the wilderness where Israel wandered for 40 years, where Jesus fasted for 40 days, that God both forms and reforms His people. A people called to follow the example of John. A people who will prepare the way of the Lord for others. Who will make crooked paths straight with righteous hearts who will fill valleys of injustice with justice, who will lower mountains of power and wealth with mercy and generosity, who will smooth out rough places in our hearts and in our world with the love of God that has been shown to each and every one of us. We are making all kinds of preparations in this season. But let's also make sure that those preparations don't just remain on the externals of our lives, but that we're also inviting God into the internal places of our lives, where God desires to change our hearts, to turn us into the kinds of people who are ready, who are ready to receive Messiah Jesus, because it's possible It's possible to move through this season on the surface. It's possible to move through this season so quickly that we don't allow it to deeply transform us. And so my prayer is that you and I would be the kinds of people who in this Christmas season would allow the transformative work of God to transform our innermost being, to allow God to shape us into the kinds of people, the kinds of people who can help all flesh, all flesh to see the salvation of God. Amen.